here's, here's what I, I believe. I think that most of us who are Christians, I hope all of us who are Christians, believe that God cares about what happens to us in eternity. But what we sometimes question is whether or not God cares about what is happening in our lives right now. Uh, to put it in a very uh, pertinent way, I think that we believe that someday, if we're Christians, God will allow us to get into heaven and there will be no more sickness, there will be no more disease, there will be no more viruses, there will be no more pain, no more suffering, uh, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more tears. But we wonder, as we kind of ponder theologically the things of God, if he actually cares that we're dealing with things like the coronavirus. Here's what we wonder. We wonder if God cares about this little thing right here. We know that he cares about what happens in eternity, but does he care that people are getting sick, that elderly people and people who are high risk are dying, and that we all are now kind of quarantined and can't do church? Does God care about those things? I think about all the stuff that we deal with. Uh, if you go to our church, you also know this about me. I have multiple sclerosis. And uh, I just think that we wonder with things like MS, does God really care about that? Does he care that I have this disease? Just before we went live this morning, my wife Bryn showed me an email. I didn't even read it because I was stressed out about getting this thing going, but she said, hey, just real quickly read this. And it was an email from a lady who had reached out to us last year. She had seen a sermon series that I did after Bryn and I, uh, after Bryn had miscarriages, we had lost two babies. And I had preached kind of a response sermon to my feelings and my thoughts and my kind of theological uh, wonderings after that sermon series. And so last year she had reached out and said, you know, thank you for doing that. We've had miscarriages too. And right before I came out here, I'll give you the update on that. Uh, Bryn showed me an email and it was a picture of that lady's two babies. So that was super cool. But it begs the question, does God care when we have miscarriages? Does God care when we lose our jobs? Does God care when we suffer from illness and sickness? The question I think that we're going to have answered today in the passage of scripture we're going to look at is, I believe that God cares about my eternity, but does he care about my present reality? And I think that we'll see it's an emphatic yes. We've been uh, studying the words that Jesus says from the cross, the sayings as he's hanging there dying for the sins of the world. He says seven things, and this morning we're looking at the third thing. And the first two are, are very eternally focused. It's focused on forgiveness, and it's focused on coming into the kingdom of God. But it still begs the question, does God care when people get viruses? Does God care when people get MS? Does God care when people have miscarriages? Does he care about what you and I are facing today? Or does he just care about what happens in eternity? I, I think this is, this is what we're going to see. Jesus doesn't just care about your eternity. He cares about your present reality. Last week, I preached on the second saying from Jesus on the cross, and, and that interaction is very heavenly focused. He, he's up there, and the thief is dying next to him, and the thief says, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. But today, we see something on the opposite end of the spectrum. We see Jesus really engage someone, not just someone, but his mom, in a way that says, I care about what you are suffering right now 
right now. And, and here's what we read in John 19, 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. There's a couple of key words in this first verse before we even see what Jesus says that are really important. And the first word is near. That word is interesting because it stands in stark contrast to what, what we've already read about the story of these women. If you were to flip over to Luke 23, 49, you would see this. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. They stood at a distance. So here are these women who are following Jesus, even the mother of Jesus, and, and he sees being crucified, nailed to a cross. They are too scared to get close while the crowds are mocking him and jeering him and telling him things that, that are completely against the will of God. While Jesus is wrestling with whether he should stay on the cross, these women are hanging back, almost acting like they don't know him at all. But now as the crowds have lessened, as they've dissipated, these women make their way towards the cross and they are standing directly in front of Jesus. And this group, pay attention to this, includes his mom. His mom has moved from being distant from Jesus to being present with Jesus at the foot of the cross. Now that's the second word that's really important here, cross. We can't fully grasp the magnitude, the importance, the greatness of any of the sayings of Jesus from the cross if we don't remember exactly what he is suffering and why he is suffering as he hangs on those pieces of wood. Jesus, up to this point in the story, has been unjustly arrested and tried. He's been beaten and whipped and scourged. Men had placed a crown of thorns on his head so that he bled down. He's been whipped again and then he's been forced to carry his cross to this place called Golgotha and there he had nails driven into his wrists and his ankles and now they have placed him upright and he is hanging there breathing his final breaths. Jesus is within hours of death here. He is suffering a horrible torture that we will never experience, but making it even worse or better depending on what side of the cross you look at it from. Jesus is not just dying a horrible physical death, but while he is dying, he is paying for all of our sins, meaning this, he is basically suffering the punishment of hell as he is hanging on the cross. And this is the moment when we encounter Jesus and his mother looking up at him, having moved from distant to close. Now, as you ponder this, and, and this was helpful for me having two young kids this week, it's important also to remember that this is Jesus' mommy. I mean, think about how she has experienced the role of Jesus in the world. It's different from the rest of us. You, you may know the Christmas story. An angel appears to Mary and says, you are, going to, you are going to birth the Messiah. Now this is your job to raise him. It is your job to raise him. And a little while later when she goes and visits her cousin, she sings this song that last Christmas we studied for four weeks. And the song begins like this in Luke 1, 46 through 49. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. 
Man, those words ring so true in eternity. But as Mary is looking up at her dying son, I'm sure she doesn't feel like glorifying the Lord in her soul. She understands that these words will be true for her in in heaven, but right now she is suffering dearly and she has to be wondering, does God actually care about me? When Jesus was just a few days old, they took him to the temple to go through the ceremonial rites of a new baby. And in Luke 23, 34 through 35, we read, Then Simeon, a man who was looking for the Messiah, blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And notice this. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. And now as Jesus hangs on the cross, her soul is being pierced. And I don't know exactly what Mary is feeling. Uh, A lot has been speculated about how she is acting. Is she weeping? Is she silent? Is she pondering? We don't know any of that, but it must feel like her soul, her very soul is being pierced as she looks at her baby dying on the cross. And she must wonder, does Jesus care about me? Does God care about what I am suffering right now? And then in verses 26 and 27, we read, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. His words are profound because Jesus would have been the one in charge of taking care of his mother in her old age, being the oldest child of Mary, and now he's going to die. And he doesn't want to leave her to people who have not embraced him as the Messiah. He wants to leave her protection and care to one of his disciples, somebody that's going to help her understand all that Jesus did and all that he taught and all that he stood for when he walked on earth. And even, as we'll see in a few moments, help her understand the implications of the resurrection after Jesus would come back to life. And so here is Jesus. I just, I think this is maybe the most important thing today. Here is Jesus suffering the worst death imaginable, paying the penalty of hell for you and for me. And in that moment, he finds it within himself to look down at his mom and one of his disciples and to make sure that she is taken care of. I think uh, that if you don't think much about Jesus, or, or if you do think about Jesus every Sunday, you know, and that's kind of it. It's really easy to forget just how incredible of a person this was who walked earth. It is, incre- it is easy to forget how incredible Jesus is, how loving he is, how gracious he is, how kind he is, how caring he is. And in this moment, we see such an incredible picture that suffering for the sins of the world, it would have been so easy to just neglect everybody in front of him and focus on the task at hand, but he finds it within his own soul to look at his mom and say, I want to make sure that you are cared for. That is incredible. It's my hope that as you read this, that that you wouldn't just think about what it means for you. And the main point is going to be, as I said before, that Jesus just doesn't just care about your eternity, but he cares about your present reality. 
But I also want you just to this morning think about how incredible Jesus is. That in the worst moments the world has ever seen, he still had it in him. He still had enough love and grace within himself to make sure that his mom was cared for. And I would just say that he is caring for you too. I I think this is another really important point. In the midst of the crowd, Jesus noticed these individuals. He noticed these women and he noticed his mom and he noticed this disciple. I think that one of the reasons that we can think that Jesus only cares about our eternity is that we don't really believe that Jesus cares about us as individuals. Sure, he came to die for the sins of the world. Sure, he's taking care of his church and he's taking care of Christians. But, but I think we, we, we wonder, we question, we don't know if Jesus actually cares about me, if he cares about you, if he cares about us as individuals. And in this moment, I think that we see that, that while the crowds are important to Jesus, so are the individuals. This is exactly what we saw in his life. It's not new to Jesus as he hangs on the cross dying. It is something that he demonstrated throughout the entirety of his ministry. Jesus spent all of his ministry comforting and healing and taking care of and feeding and interacting with individuals despite the fact that the crowds were constantly trying to get to him. He continues this in his death. There's this story that I I think all of you should know. It's important and it demonstrates this truth so well. There's this woman who's been bleeding for years and in her society, this meant she couldn't sit down on chairs in her house. She couldn't cook food for her family. She couldn't interact with people. She had probably had no physical contact for the years that, that she had been having this medical problem. And she knows Jesus is coming through her town, but there's a problem. The crowds are so big surrounding Jesus, wanting to hear from him, wanting to be healed by him, wanting to see him and touch him, that they're actually pressing in on each side of him. And so people are bumping and jostling Jesus. And and she's thinking, this is my one shot. This is my one chance to be able to get healed by this guy. And she thinks, if only I can touch the hem of his garment, maybe that will be enough to be healed. And so she, she, gets, she wiggles her way through the crowd and she touches this garment of Jesus and instantly she's healed. I think given all that was going on, it would have been so easy for Jesus to say, well, look at all these people. I have the crowds all around me. That's how most people are in our society. I think that's how most people act. They are more focused on the crowd than they are the individual. I know that I can struggle with that even as a pastor, being focused on our church, but not you who's in the church. But Jesus is not like me. Instead, Jesus stops and he says, somebody has been healed here. And he finds the woman and he looks at her and he says, your faith has made you well. Jesus doesn't just care about the masses or the crowd. He cares about you. He cares about you. If you are afflicted, sad, or scared, or suffering... (laughs) If you've run out of toilet paper, then know this, that in life and death, Jesus cares deeply about you. But I think this moment is made even more incredible when we consider the interactions that Jesus has had with his family since beginning his ministry. They are not what we would expect at all. They are uh, actually something that we would 
that, that kind of is uh, difficult for us to deal with and figure out. His interactions with his family since beginning his ministry have been frankly kind of tense. In Luke 2, 48 through 50, we get a foreshadowing of this. Jesus is still a kid in this story. And as a kid, his family goes to the temple to celebrate God, to worship God. And, and when they leave in their caravan, they get some miles out and they realize Jesus is no longer with them. And so they go back and they find Jesus sitting and talking to the religious leaders. And, and then we read this. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. This is amped up when Jesus begins his ministry. He is so focused on doing the work that God has sent him to do. He is so focused on the mission that God has put in front of him that it oftentimes creates tension with his family and specifically with his mother. We see this at the very first miracle that Jesus does. We see this at the very beginning of his ministry in John 2, 1 through 5. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And listen to what Jesus says. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. A woman, I should point out, is not as disrespectful as it sounds. It was a term of respect in Jesus' world, but it is still an interesting interaction where she says, this guy can make more wine. I've seen him, I've seen him do things before. He's the Messiah. And Jesus is like, this isn't my time. This isn't in line with the timeline that God has for me. And we begin to see that Mary and the rest of Jesus' family is not fully going to grasp or understand exactly what Jesus has come to do. In fact, as time goes on, eventually they wonder if he might be going crazy as the crowds surround him and he's teaching things that people don't understand. And we read of this very weird interaction in Matthew 12, 46 through 50. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And now Mary is standing at the foot of the cross watching her son die. And you have to believe that there's a million questions in her mind. Don't we all go through this when we lose a loved one? We all wonder if we could have done something different, if it was the right time, if we had said enough good things to them, if they really understood that we loved them. And for Mary, that feeling and those questions had to have been magnified. She was tasked with raising the Messiah. The Jewish people thought the Messiah would start a military takeover and overthrow the Roman government and set things right on earth for the Jewish people. And now that Messiah is dying and she has to question, did I do a bad job? Did I not fulfill the task that God has given me, that God had given me to do? Did I fail? Am I a failure? 
She must wonder just as a, a mother, like, did I do all the wrong things? She's watching her son not just die, which is sad for every parent, but die a sinner's death. And she doesn't understand the weight of it or the implications for us, but she must question whether or not she did a good job as a mom. And she must question whether she could have stopped it. I think of, of the mounting tension that surrounded Jesus over the months prior to him being crucified. And, and I just wonder if she thinks like, maybe if I would have been a little more present, maybe if I would have been closer, maybe if I would have joined his ministry, I could have stopped him from walking into Jerusalem. I could have stopped him from ticking off the religious leaders. I could have, I could have prevented this moment, but now she's standing at the foot of the cross and she's wondering if she did everything wrong. And I think in the air of this moment hangs this incredible question. Does Jesus just care about her and everyone else's eternities? Or does he care about all of these things she's thinking and feeling and struggling with in this moment? And he looks down at her and says, woman, here is your son. He cares about what she is dealing with. Not just in eternity, but what she is dealing with right now in the present. In 1 Corinthians 13, there's this incredible description of love. You've maybe heard it at a wedding. And Jesus demonstrates so much of that here in this moment. He demonstrates incredible love, a love that suggests, a love that shows us, a love that teaches that he does not just care about our eternity, but he cares about our present reality. An author who wrote a book on these seven sayings, uh, Ronald S. Wallace wrote uh, this thing that I think is so beautiful and so profound and so important to this subject. He says, was he already too distant, too preoccupied with the fulfillment of the great work he had been given to do? Too absorbed in his suffering and sacrifice to care for her personally in this hour as he has, had done formerly. Such were the questions of her heart and then the questions of our hearts. But they were answered by this word from the cross which assured her again of the full warmth of his affection and the breadth of, breadth of his personal understanding of her needs. His love extended to her with the same imaginative and careful consideration that had been behind all of his dealings with her from his childhood. In other words, in, in this one line, in this one statement, Jesus tells all people I don't just care about your eternity. I care about your present reality. I want you to be taken care of. I want you to be good. I want you to be healthy. I want to be there for you. In John 19, 27, we read, from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. I love this because uh, this means that, that the disciple became Jesus' representative. He did what Jesus asked him to do and therefore he became the representative of Jesus. It was Jesus' job to take care of his elderly mother and he had passed it along to this person and, and now he, is, he does the job. He does the work that Jesus has for him to do and in so doing represents Jesus. This is our job too. Herbert Lockyer, who also wrote a commentary on these seven sayings, says, those who close their eyes to surrounding need cannot have divine love indwelling them. For such love lives for the relief of others. As Christians, if you're a Christian, it is your job to be a representation of Jesus on earth. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. 
And I think we have an incredible opportunity to do that as we kind of move into this weird time in American history and church history where we're quarantined in some ways, right? I'm reminded of what happened just this week. It's been a crazy week, as I said, but at one meeting, uh, Michael, who was playing bass earlier today, he said, there's some coronavirus stuff I want to talk about. And, and, I, and I thought he was going to say, like, let's wear masks or let's have more hand sanitizer. And he said, is there a way that we can get groceries to people who are scared to go out of their houses? I think that is a beautiful picture of being a representation of Christ. I, I would say that I had another phone call from somebody in our church with the same, the same ideas, but she was talking about how there's going to be financial struggles. And she said, our church needs to find a way to help people in these financially trying times because people will be out of work and industries are gonna be hurt and we have to, we have to find a way to help people. I think this is another beautiful picture of representing Jesus during these difficult times. As Christians, it is our job not just to care about people's eternities, but to care about their present realities and to do our best to help the people we can. Andy Stanley, a pastor that I love, that I follow, that I've learned a ton from, he says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I would just say, if you want to follow Jesus in this, if you want to care about people's present situations, if you want to be there for people right now, Find someone who is struggling or hurting, who is scared, who is maybe lonely, and do for them what you wish you could do for everyone. Whether it's dropping off groceries at their porch, whether it's making a financial donation, whether it's just calling somebody that maybe is elderly and can't leave the house right now to talk to them on the phone. Do for someone what you wish you could do for everyone. I just want to point out one more thing about Mary before I finish this thing. And, and that's this, that Mary had to be the most excited person about the resurrection. I had never thought about that until this week. But as Mary is watching her son die on a cross, she must have all of these questions. And she recognizes Jesus cares about me, but then he is gone. He breathes his last breath and it's over. And he is put into a tomb and she must just question like, like what's next? And she must be dealing with such incredible sorrow, but I love knowing that her sorrow only lasted for a moment. In Acts 1.14, just after Jesus' resurrection, this is what we read, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and, I love this note from the author Luke, and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Mary is one of the first people gathered in prayer after the resurrection of Jesus. What hope and joy that must have brought her. And I'm excited to celebrate that with you on April 12th as we announced earlier. Now I know that this sermon, let me just make a uh, kind of a side point here that I think is really important. I know that this sermon is not an answer for why God allows bad things to happen to good people. That is a an important question. That is a difficult question. And it's one that many people want answered. And it's not one that I'm going to answer here in the next few moments. But I just want to say that if that's something you wrestle with, maybe you're in a particularly hard season of life right now and you're just 
curious, why is God letting me go through this? I, I would say this, two things. First of all, if you are a person who loves God, there's a promise in Romans 8.28 that says that God works all things, everything, for the good of those who love him. And I promise you this, if you are a person who loves God, if you are a person who has given your life to Jesus, then you can know no matter what you face, whether it's coronavirus or like we had just almost a year ago today, a major fire in our neighborhood, whether it's a financial struggle, whatever it is, you can know that God is working all those things for your good. So I would say that first. And second, I would say, go to that website, creekside.me that we've mentioned. Click on the respond button and just shoot us an email. I'd be happy to talk to you about why God allows bad things to happen to good people. But this morning, that's not the point of this sermon. The point of this sermon is to say that in the midst of all the bad things that life can throw at us, you can be sure because of the words that Jesus utters from the cross to his mom that he cares about you. He cares about your fear of the coronavirus. He cares about those who are sick. He cares about those who are or will suffer financially because of this moment in our history. He cares about your worries and your struggles and your pains and your sadness and your depression and your sickness and all of it. He cares about you and he cares about you deeply. Jesus doesn't just care about your eternity. He cares about your present reality. And so here's what I want to ask you to do this morning. One, if you've never embraced Jesus as your savior, you need to do that. We believe as a church that when Jesus is suffering this incredible thing on the cross, he is doing it so that your sins might be forgiven. And all you have to do to have your sins forgiven is to look at God and say, God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for my sins. And because I believe that, I'm choosing to accept your gift of forgiveness and salvation and I'm going to give you my life. Some of you need to do that because the world, as we see right now, is so uncertain. It's scary at times. There is evil and there's pain and there is suffering. And I don't believe there's any true hope apart from embracing Jesus and the care that he has for you. But others of you, you need to be the rocks that this world needs You need to be Jesus representatives because as you recognize that he cares for you, it allows you to care for others in a new and better way. It allows for you to be solid in the midst of a world that is shifting and struggling. We should not live in fear because we know that our God cares about us deeply. And so do not be a person that gives in to the fears that many of the people around us are giving into. Do not be a person that panics in these moments. Be a person that turns your attention to God and says, I know that no matter what happens, you care about me. Jesus doesn't just care about your eternity. He cares about your present reality. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this saying from the cross. It is less spiritual feeling in some ways God I mean as you hung there Jesus you said father forgive them and you said today you will be with me in paradise and and those are so heavenly focused God that that it's hard I think for us who are walking this earth right now to really grasp the goodness of those statements sometimes but Lord to know that you are that you are up there caring about us when we face fears and failures and struggles and sorrows God that's a gift 
That is a gift, and I thank you for it. I pray, God, that every person in this room with me and all of those, God, who are listening online this morning, I pray uh, that we would take hold of, that we would embrace your wonderful grace and love and care. And if that means, God, for those listening online, that they need to give their lives to you, help them to do it this morning, right? In their bedrooms or their kitchens or their bathrooms even, God, help them to give their lives to you, their life to you right now, Jesus. Call them by the power of your Holy Spirit. And for those of us who love you and live for you who are Christians, let us be solid as we deal with these uncertain times because we know that your care for us is certain. I love you, Jesus. I want to just finish by by praying and saying to you, thank you so much for being such a loving and gracious God that would care about our present reality in the midst of your incredible suffering. And I pray these things in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.